Hey, I'm Kendall. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text RiverConnect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. just worshiping the Lord, huh? Man, it's, it's always amazing to me. Uh, me and Nate don't actually talk about what we're going to do. Nate handles all of the music and the music choices. And so, like, it always amazes me when his selection is perfectly in line <laughs> with the message. <laughs> That's not a coincidence, right? That's the working of the Holy Spirit. And it's always amazing to me uh, how the Lord just does that and and sets things in order, right? And he just knows what we need to hear. It was such a blessing to me. So I want to just let you, just remind man, take some time to encourage the people that come up here. Uh, their weeks are busy. They have the same busy schedules we do, and they take time to, to prepare and practice, as well as the tech team in the back. Sometimes they're not recognized, but it's a good thing for us to encourage them and thank them uh, as they lead us in worship to, to just encourage them to know, hey, what you did for me today was lead me to, to draw closer to the Lord. That's a good thing for us to do. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to close, finish our series. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Today will be uh, kind of the stopping point of this series. The Sermon on the Mount continues into chapter 7, but we're going to end it here at the end of chapter 6. We'll pick up chapter 7 at another time. Uh, but we've been walking through uh, several of the things that Jesus, big picture, has been walking us through is this aspect of, of righteousness. And last week we walked through some of the, the temporary things versus the eternal things, really dealing with the condition of our heart, what motivates our heart, the condition of our heart, and the commitment of our heart, all focused on things that are temporary versus things that are eternal, right? The, the, the heavenly treasures versus, versus the earthly treasures, what motivates us, the temporary versus the eternal the way we view things, the way our eyes see things, whether we understand the true condition of our heart, darkness versus light, temporary versus eternal, right? And how we focus on the eternal things versus uh, the things that are temporary. And then, of course, the commitments that we make to God, our commitment in our heart, right? Serving God versus serving money, the temporary versus the eternal. Well, today is going to be kind of a continuation, if you will, from last week's message. This would be maybe part two of the heart. And it deals with anxiety. Yay. <laughs> anxiety is something that we, we, uh, we all have. The reality, we all go through some form of anxiety. Different things cause different anxiety amongst us. But it's going to be the main thing that Jesus is going to be walking us through. Listen, this is a perfect time of year to actually talk about this. Thanksgiving just got done and we're getting ready to walk into Christmas. There are all kinds of things that I am sure create anxiety in your heart as you think about this season. Maybe it was about who's coming over. Is the house good enough? Did I make the right meal? Did the dish, was the dish good enough? 
man, what presents am I going to get for all the people? We think of the schedules we have. There's a lot of things that during this time of year, as we walk out of Thanksgiving into the Christmas season, that creates a lot of anxiety in us, right? So that, that might be one thing, but there's a lot of different things that really can stir some emotion, this, this aspect of anxiety in our hearts. So let's take a look at the text. Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 25 and look at what Jesus teaches us. Beginning in verse 25, Jesus says this, therefore, that's a key word, that word therefore. See, because of what he just laid out in the previous passages, what we walked through last week, the temporary versus the eternal, he goes, therefore, what you understand about those things, therefore, because, because I told you about the temporary, because I told you about the eternal, and hopefully you understand how important the eternal is, therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, and if you're not familiar with who Solomon is, he's one of the most wealthiest men, one of the wealthiest kings that ever walked the face of the earth. He had some nice clothing, apparently. Even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these, talking about the fields of the earth with the lilies that covered them. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, that's the temporary, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, because of all of this instruction that he's laying out, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I get really anxious. We'll walk through that. Let's pray and go to the Lord and figure out how to apply it to our life. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you as your children. Lord, we need you this morning. I need you this morning. Lord, we need your spirit to move in our hearts, to move through me, Lord, and through your word to really to help us see the things that we maybe misprioritize, Lord, and help us to focus on the things that you have for us. We ask this in your son Jesus' holy name. Amen. So anxiety. I don't know if you're, you're a pessimist in the sense of your worldview, where you look at things and you're always cautious, right? The, my wife is what I would call an eternal optimist. Man, she makes plans and they in her head, will be laid out perfect, and they will always be executed exactly as she sees them. 
Me, I'm the opposite. I'm the pessimist. I plan for every problem that's going to happen. Whether it happens or not, I'm planning for it. This is, this is my mindset. This is how I, I view things and I have my world view. So you might be like my wife and see everything. Man, it's going to happen just the way I see it happening. Or you might be like me and you see things a little bit on the darker side, if you will, the pessimist side. And you're anticipating every problem that's around the corner. Well, I was looking at this subject of anxiety, and I was looking up some statistics about our culture, our society, America. And ironically, every year, the American Psychological Association does a test or a survey, and they survey the American people to figure out what our anxiety levels are. What is it that the American people are worried about? It's amazing some of the things that come up. 78 or 70 percent of adults reported that they do not think people in the government care about them. So they're really worried about the government condition. This is perfect as we walk through 2024, right? Election cycle. This is something that stirs up anxiety in our culture, and I don't care which side of the fence you're on, but this is something that apparently causes anxiety in American people right now. When it comes to finances, this was really fascinating. There's a ton of fear. 83 percent of American adults, U.S. adults, are concerned or stressed out about the inflation problem. 83% of people are concerned when it comes to money. Some more interesting statistics related specifically to this, 57% said they had enough to pay bills for things in in the present like rent or mortgage, but they were concerned about whether they would be able to have those same funds in the future. 57%. 56 percent of all adults during the prior month have had to make different choices due to a lack of money. This is something that causes stress and concern for the American people, finance, government. The other one is this issue of violence. I was surprised, I guess not so surprised, but kind of surprised to see the numbers associated with the concern of violence in our culture. The range, and of course they have this laid out by different demographics, but the range of concern for violence in our culture, violence and crime ranged from 72% to 89%. That's a huge, that's, that's a massive group of the, the population that's saying, hey, I'm concerned about violence in my culture. The other thing, mass shootings, this was another area where they were concerned. Anywhere from the range from 66 to 89% were concerned about violence and mass shooting in particular that is in our culture and our society. This is, this is a poll taken in 2022, just last year. You look at some of the statistics about how anxiety and stress affects the American people right now. I found this absolutely staggering. 27%, 27, nearly 30% of all adults said that most days they are so stressed, so full of anxiety, that they cannot function. Wow. That's incredible. When you look at the age demographic where this breaks down, those under 35, the number shoots up to 46%. Under 35, you are so full of anxiety, full, so full of stress that you can't even function at age at 45, 45% of the, the people under 35 have that, that, that statistic. 
That's amazing to think about. You know, as you look at these things, you, you, you start reading and you get some more information about this. Around three-quarters of adults, that's 76%, said that they have experienced health problems due to anxiety in the prior month. 76% of people recognize that, hey, the stress in my life, the anxiety in my life is causing me health problems. And then, of course, you start walking through health problems, and you have a whole other stressor you add on or anxiety because you have health bills. Right? It's just this never-ending cycle of anxiety and stress and, and, and issues that we have to walk through. They did a, the same survey in, in 2023 recently, and this is one of the, the statistics that come from that. Overall, nearly two in five adults, that's 37%, report feeling more anxious right now than they were at the same time last year. So the rate of stress is going up. The rate of anxiety is increasing. And so when we talk about what Jesus is walking us through in this passage in, in Matthew chapter 6, the subject matter is very relevant, right? It's very relevant. It's something we all, whether we want to admit it or not, it's something we all deal with. Anxiety. And how are we to handle it? How are we to work through it? Now, now I just laid out some statistics about health, about the government, about finances. And these seem like, okay, I can, I can in my own head, I kind of go to the Lord and go, okay, Lord, I can see how you're instructing me not to be anxious about those things that actually I have no control over. I mean, I don't really have a say in what happens in the government. I don't really have a say what happens in the financial economy of our, I really don't. I mean, I, I conduct commerce, but I don't really have a big say in how the economy plays out. So when I look at what Jesus is telling me in this passage in Matthew 6, I kind of scratch my head a little bit. Because what Jesus tells us not to worry about or not to be anxious about are what I would call basic human needs. Whether we eat, whether we drink, have, have a, I'm not drinking in alcohol, but drinking in the sense of like water. Like I need water to stay alive. I need food to stay alive. I need clothing to protect me from the elements, right? This last week was hunting season, and if you went out any of the mornings, there was pretty cold without... Decent clothing, you're freezing your butt off. It's cold. We live in a cold climate. Clothing is in, in very important for us if we're going outside. Lord, these are basic human elements. Basic human needs. And here Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry about these things. Man, I, in my head I kind of go, okay, Lord, I can I cannot worry or create anxiety about the government or, or about the financial world, economy, because I can't really control any of those things. But Lord, these are really important for my life. If I'm going to worry about anything or get anxious about anything, I would think my basic human needs would be one of those things up there that I can go, Lord, come on, we, we can actually be anxious about this, can't we? Like it's our life we're talking about. And Jesus goes and brings us back to these basic, I want you to see this. In the 10 verses we read, five times the word anxious is being mentioned. Verse 25, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 27, and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of life? Verse 28, why are you anxious about your clothing? Verse 31, 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. See, what I see Jesus doing is actually pointing us to the pessimist's view. He's pointing us to look at this view, that the, the world view that the pessimist has, the way he, he looks at it. And in this text, there are two phrases that Jesus uses that are promises, but amidst the promise is all of these words called anxiety. And it's so easy to miss the promises that Jesus is laying out because we're too busy focused on the anxiety aspect of this. You know, as I was looking for passages to really help define this term we call anxiety, I found one written by a man named King David in the Psalms. Now, apparently, King David struggled with anxiety, and you will see this laid out for us in Psalms 55, the first eight verses. King David struggled with anxiety. You see and start reading what he struggled with in this Psalms, and you recognize real quick that this man struggles with anxiety. Because you're going to, if you've ever walked through any kind of anxiety, you're going to start seeing some key words that you go, yep, I felt that. Psalms 55, beginning in verse 1, David's walking in accordance to what Jesus has already laid out for us, going to the Lord, praying to him, right? He's laid this out in his sermon. Verse 1, he says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. He then goes in to describe the state of his mind. I am restless. You ever struggled with anxiety and felt restless? That's a key attribute of anxiety, feeling restless, anxious. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy. See what David's saying and saying, here, listen, man, I'm so restless. I'm so, I'm, I'm complaining about because all I can see, all I can hear is the noise. The noise of the enemy. This goes back to talking about what we talked about last week. Where are our eyes focused? Are they focused on the temporary or are they focused on the eternal? Here you see David's being distracted because of the noise of his enemy. So basically his whole mind, his whole heart is being consumed by all of the noise. He continues in this passage. He says, because of the noise of my enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. Man, this is so true even in our own lives today. When we look at our culture and our environment, we see wickedness. And as believers in Christ, it's really easy to say, oh my goodness, the wickedness is just taking over. We looked at the statistics for violence, the lack of trust in our government society, the economy. There's a whole lot of things we can start seeing, the oppression of the wicked, if you will. And when our minds are focused on those things, you cannot help but become anxious. David, as he continues in this passage, listen to what he says. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. And then in verse 4 he says, my heart, again, the core element of where anxiety is produced, my heart is in anguish. See, David's sitting here walking through his own anxiety, where his own heart is, where his own head is at. He sees the enemy. That's all he can see. That's all he can hear is the enemy. 
And he forgets something very crucial in the life of a believer. As he continues in this, and you hear what he says, his heart is in anguish within him. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Man, if you read that description right there, and you take a look at those words, and you highlight those words, you'll see anxiety in there. You can see it, can you not? It's clear as day. Horror overwhelms me. The fear of the enemy, the fear of the, the devil and all of his tactic, tactics, and all, the, the fear of the oppressors, the things that are going wrong, everything that's going terrible, all the problems, the things that you can't control. David is sitting there saying, hey, man, this is what makes me restless. I am full of anxiety. Can we relate to this? I know I can. I know I can look at this and go, whew, there are some words in there that I can relate to. And you know what's very interesting? David actually, in the very next verses, in verse 6, describes how he wants to handle his anxiety. And the way he wants to handle his anxiety is actually the same way oftentimes I want to try to handle my anxiety. Or maybe you might relate to this. Let's look at this. Verse 6 in the same Psalms. David says this, And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. How many of you have ever said that? Man, I wish I could just fly away from all my problems. I wish I could just go somewhere else and my problems would stay there and then I could be at rest. Look at what he says in verse 7. Yes, I would wander far away. Get as far away from the problems. Get as far away from the enemy. Get as far away from all the things that create anxiety for me. I'm going to run the opposite direction. I would lodge in the wilderness or the desert, right? He's saying, I would rather sit in the desert than deal with my problems. Selah, he says. I would hurry to find a shelter and from the raging wind and the tempest. Basically, I'm going to run away from the storm. You know, it's really fascinating what we see there. David actually describes two ways he wants to deal with it. One is very obvious. Where he says, I, I just want to get away from my problems. If as soon as I get away from them, then I'll be at rest. I'm just going to run the other way. I'm going to go out into the desert. Man, it's a dry place. There's nobody around. And I can just be by myself. Maybe even sulk a little bit. The other thing he says here, which is fascinating, and it's easy to miss, but if you look at the pronoun David uses, pay attention in those last three verses, 6, 7, and 8. You actually see the word I five times. Look at this. I had wings. I wish I had wings. I wish I would fly away. I wish I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter. See, there's two aspects there that David's thinking in his midst of his anxiety where he's trying to deal with it. One is I want to run away from it, which we all can relate to. The other is he's trying to deal with it himself. I, 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 I. There's a big picture he misses. Luckily, as you follow the Psalms, as you go to the end of it, he, he does finally understand some of the things that he's got to change in his mix of his anxiety. Verse 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord. You could even say cast your anxiety, if you want to, on the Lord. 
And he, not I, he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He goes on and he speaks, but you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. That them there, you can call that all the sources of your anxiety. The enemy. See, David is focused so much and he's looking and he's hearing the words of the enemy and he's allowing the words of the enemy to penetrate his mind and his heart and he's allowing what the enemy is telling him to lose complete control of the reality and the truth of who God is. And ultimately, at the end of this psalm, David gets there and he says, Lord, I'm giving you my problems. I can't run from them, but I can give them to you and you can deal with them and you can manage them. And you can deal with it. Look at as he goes on. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. In the very end, what does David conclude? But I will trust in you. He's talking about his Lord and his Savior. In the midst of his anxiety, in the midst of the fear and the trembling and the being overwhelmed, in the midst of his restlessness, David finally gets the conclusion. He goes, it ain't me that's going to solve these problems because I actually have no control over this. I'm going to give it to the one that has all the control. He. His pronoun changes from I to he. It ain't me that's going to solve the problem. It's him that's going to solve the problem. And he goes back to saying, Lord, I'm going to give you all my burdens. I'm going to give you my anxiety. So we see and we go back to Matthew chapter 6, first and foremost, Jesus is pointing us to the pessimist's view. What it is that someone that is full of anxiety actually is looking at is the problem. And I love in this passage in Matthew 6 how Jesus lays out these two very, very important promises to the pessimist in Matthew chapter 6. You can, if you're like me, when you read Matthew 6... All you see is the words anxiety, <laughs> and you start getting anxious. You're like, holy cow, there's a lot of anxiety in this passage. And it's so easy from a pessimist's view to only see the negative. But Jesus in this passage is laying out some incredible promises for us. Let's take a look. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet, and yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Now here's the promise part. This is the part where the pessimist really struggles. He says to them, are you not of more value than they? That's an easy promise to just slide right over when you're looking at the enemy. When you're looking at all the problems and you're looking at all the circumstances that create that anxiety in you, it's so easy to ignore the very promise from the one who made you that says, hey, listen, aren't you more valuable than the birds that I take care of? Let's put this in common terms. Actually, in, I think it's in Matthew chapter 10, he uses the same illustration when it comes to persecution. When people... Uh, uh, are, are going to persecute the church. In fact, the words I think he says is in verse 16 there of Matthew 10, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, now listen to what he's saying there. If you're a little sheep and you're walking in the midst of a pack of wolves, my mind says it's okay to be freaking out right now. 
right? I mean, listen, you're a little old lamb in the midst of a pack of ravenous wolves. They want to destroy you and take you out for dinner, and you're the dinner. Man, I think that would be a good place to start feeling anxious. But listen to what Jesus continues to say in this passage. Verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. Don't be anxious. And he goes down a little further and he uses the same illustration he uses in Matthew 6 at the end of this, this, this conversation he's having in verse 29. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And are not one of them uh, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Meaning, the father knows when one of those sparrows fall. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, for, I have hair. I have hair. I'm not bald. So some of us, if we were maybe lacking some hair, would say, hey, that's not a big deal. But for those of us that have hair, to try to consider how many are there... And what that number is, we would go, that's an impossibility. There ain't no way in our finite mind that we can even comprehend what the very numbers of our hair are. Yet God knows it. This is going to express how incredible our God is, actually. And then he goes and he says this in that same passage. Fear not. Fear not. Don't be anxious when you're the lamb in the midst of a pack of wolves. Fear not. Are you, you are of more value than many sparrows. There's that phrase, that promise. And as a pessimist, it's easy to go, yeah, Lord, I understand what you're saying, but man, I'm not sure I quite believe it. Right? This is the struggle of the pessimist preparing for all of the worst-case scenarios. Lord, I know your word says it. It's a promise. I know it's written in Scripture that I shouldn't worry because you know my needs. You know what I have to have. You're, you're, you know what protection I need. And we hear the promise, but we go, eh, God doesn't mean that for me. Maybe somebody else, that's who, that's who it's for. That isn't for me. Or, or we'll take promises of God and will say, yeah, you know, the promise of the cross, man, I totally get, I'm on board, I believe it 100%. And we'll believe that promise, but this promise, no, ooh, this one's way too hard to believe. I can believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and, and took all of the consequences of my sin, but I can't believe that he'll cover me and know what my needs are for my sustenance, my food, my water, my clothing. No way. It's way easier to worry about it and look at the problems than see the promise. See, this is the problem with a the pessimist. They only look at the problems. <laughs> they don't tend to focus on the promise. And here in this passage, when you go back to Matthew chapter 6, you see Jesus pointing us over and over again to the promise. Are you not of more value than the sparrows or the birds? I mean, you go back to that passage in Matthew 10... Literally, I think this is just a way for us to reference this. God knows, like we, we, we have roadkill in Michigan. You drive by on the road, you see a dead animal, you don't think anything of it. You keep rolling. 
God says, I know when that roadkill happened. Aren't you of more value than roadkill? Like we would all sit there and go, yeah, of course. Like we don't even think anything of it. But the Lord is saying when a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows about it. He's aware of it. Aren't you more valuable than them? See, it has to do with our identity and recognizing how incredibly valuable each and every one of us is to God. And whether we actually believe it. This is the core problem, conflict with anxiety. Because anxiety will see the problem. They might even hear the promise, but they're so focused on the problem, they forget to look at the promise and who's actually stating the promise. The person of Jesus. Verse 30. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more? See, that's the circle of those words. Much more. Will he not much more clothe you? Won't he? I mean, if he's going to cover the grass of the field with an adornment that is greater than Solomon, and you're his child, won't he care much more for you? See, this is, a tr- this is such a hard struggle for a pessimist because you have to deal with what you actually believe in your heart. It's really easy to sit and look at all the problems and say the word I. I got to deal with this. I got to deal with that. I got to go here. I got to handle this. And it gets into that I state because all I'm looking at is the problems. And just like David, we need to shift our mind from the I to the he and say he says I'm valuable. He cares for me. He desires me. He can handle my problems. It's a total different shift of view. As we walk through this, this aspect of constantly needing to be reminded of the promises, I think of the passage in 2 Peter. Peter, in his own words, was trying to remind some people he was ministering to, and he said this in verse 12, beginning in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 12, he says this, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, verse 13, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by the way of reminder. And then again at the very end, he's like, listen, I'm about to die, so I want to make sure that there's no way, no chance, no how that you can forget what I'm trying to point you to. That it will stir you up to reminder, even when I'm gone, that you will always have a record of what to be focused on. Man, this is such an important aspect of our life, especially as we go through the season that creates so much anxiety. we got to be focused on God's promises and not the problems. We have to constantly remind ourselves of his promise that, hey, he cares about me. He knows the struggles, the battles that we face. And some of them are very significant. I'm I'm not diminishing anybody's hardships. But we have a God that cares about you. Hey, he literally says, you are more valuable than any of the other creations I've ever made. You are the most valuable. So often we, in the midst of our anxieties, we forget these promises and we constantly need to be reminded over and over over again. What's amazing is as Peter writes this in the second chapter, if you go back to his first chapter, first or first book, first Peter chapter five, 
he also speaks to us about this aspect of anxiety. And it's amazing. I, I often wonder if Peter didn't steal or take, I don't know if steal is the right word, take some of these uh, words he wrote right from the Psalms we read earlier. Listen to what he says. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then look at what he says. This is, this is almost verbatim off of the Psalms we read earlier. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the same conclusion that David came to after he had walked through anxiety towards the end of that psalm. He said, casting all your burdens on him, talking about God, because God cares for you. Peter recognized the same thing. Listen, God cares for you. The problem, the situation, the thing, the source that causes you all this anxiety, you can go to the Lord and he's going to hear you and he's going to walk you through whatever it is you need to, to learn from that situation. As a pessimist, you go, man, does he really care about me? Are you sure? We'll believe the cross, but we won't believe that he can care for our financial needs. We'll believe the cross, but we won't believe whether he can take care of our, I don't know, work situation, our home situation, our marriage situation. We, we'll believe the cross, but all these other sources, ah, God's, God's too busy. He's got too much on his plate. I'm not that big of a deal in his world. We forget the promises that he lays out for us, that we are of incredible value to him, that he cares for us. Going back to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus points us out to recognize the pessimist view, those who only saw the anxiety in that passage, and he points us to the promises and then as he is concluding, he walks us through where to find even more promises. In verse 33, Jesus says this, But seek, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, he's pointing us through the pessimist view. He points us to the promise, and then he points us to the keys to the promise. He says, seek ye first. I'm going old, old King James Version there. That's how I learned it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. See, when we're focused on all of these problems in our lives the things that are the source of our anxiety, and we take our eyes off of the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is really the person of Jesus Christ, when we take our eyes off of him, we start to see all the problems. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to a young pastor. He's writing about the very word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction. And here you see the next words, the main theme of Jesus' message on the Sermon on the Mount, righteousness. He says, the scripture, the word of God, is used for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. See, God's word is meant for us to be where we go to seek out the promises, to, to seek out the truth, 
so that we understand how to get the connection of, of fulfilling those promises in our life. And in and, and John 1, 1, Jesus, it said of Jesus, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And just a few short verses after that, in verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Go back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is the word of God. What Jesus is really saying, if we put it into common terms and ways that we can apply to our life, what he's really saying is, listen, I know there's a lot in our world that can create anxiety. There's a lot in this world. Even going back to the very basic things where we would all agree, hey, listen, worrying about food to survive, drink to survive, being clothed, these are real basic necessities. And Jesus is telling us, even in the basic necessities, God knows what you need. He cares for you. You are of incredible more value than any other creation he made. And what he says there in verse 33 is this. Seek after me. Not me, the pastor. Me, Jesus. Seek after me. Make me your number one priority. Seek after the things that I have written in my word for your benefit, for your good. So that you take your eyes off of the problems that are there and recognize the eternal truth of my word and the promises for every purpose of our life. That's what Jesus is saying. Look for me. Look for me. And if you're here today and you do not know the Lord, you might be trying to deal with all your problems, all your anxieties, with the same way David was. Man, I want to get away. I want to run and hide in the middle of a desert so no one can find me. I want to deal with the problems myself. I'll just, this is the best solution I can come up with. I, I, I. And the answer isn't in I. It's in him. So if you don't know the Lord, the call for you today is, hey man, go to the Lord. Run to him. Seek after him with everything you have. It's worth it. Knowing that he cares for you knowing that he loves you and he desires you and that you are of incredible value to him. If you're a believer here today, maybe you've lost sight of your priorities. Maybe you're like me and you're a pessimist and all you see is the negative. And all you see are all the problems before you that you have to face. I want to encourage you as believers. We need to be reminded of the promises of God. We need to turn our eyes from the problem Turn him to the promise. Turn him to the person of Jesus. And put our focus and all of us into that, that, that promise that he is there for us, that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. That we are of incredible value to him. Today, if you're a believer, I want to encourage you. Yes, there's a lot of things in our world that can create some anxiety. But we have an amazing God. One that knows what we're going through. He knows the deep hurts. He knows the deep scars. He knows all the things in our life that, that, that keep us from being able to turn and fully trust in him. He knows every bit of our doubt. And he keeps telling us, hey, come to me. If you're heavy laden and you need rest, come to me. If you're burdened with all kinds of stuff in your life, he says, come to me. The flip side of this is this. If I had all of the food in the world, and I had all the drink in the world, water to sustain me, and I had all the clothes in the world to cover me and keep me warm in, in cold weather, 
but I didn't have Jesus, I would have lost it all. None of it even mattered. And that's the key to our own hearts and our own conviction. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask the guys to get ready to, to pass it out. And so this morning, as the band comes up to get ready to play a song, and as the, the guys pass out the usher, we're going to take a moment as we conclude the series where we can reflect our own heart to the Lord. Listen, he already knows it, so we're not hiding anything. We want to take time, as, as 1 Corinthians says, to examine ourselves to examine our heart, really the true condition of our heart. Have we allowed all of the problems and things in our life to cloud our view of who he is? Have we allowed all of the struggles and problems and, and issues in our life to cloud us from seeing the promises he has? I want to give you time this morning as the band is playing to come forward. You can use the altar if you want to talk to the Lord. You can talk to the Lord in your seat. The Lord hears you. This is just carpet and wood and maybe some concrete. Who knows? There's nothing special about it. You can pray in your seat and have an open, honest, genuine, authentic conversation with the Lord. Prioritizing him and say, Lord, I want you more than anything else in my life. More than any of my problems. Lord, I want you to help me to be a part of my life. I want to encourage you to do that. If we'll stand and worship uh, if they'll come and pass out the, the communion cups, you'll find that there are two cups. Take both cups, and we'll distribute that as they sing, and then we'll come up and partake together.